Welcome to Peaceful Ease. We all have the necessary strength and wisdom to solve most of our problems. What we often lack is a quiet space to think clearly and calmly. This podcast is all about tapping into that zone of inner wisdom. My name is Mario Pereca, and I'd like to invite you to join myself and Ela Crane every Monday and Friday. We'll be here to guide you to that endless power and insight within until you learn how to get there and function from there by yourself. This is a journey about being authentic, learning how to trust your instincts, realizing that each and every one of us are not just enough, but also perfect the way we are right now. Hey everyone, Mario Pereca here, and as always, I am joined by Ela Crane, and we'd like to welcome you to the Peaceful Ease podcast. As always, you can be part of the show, have your voice heard on the show, ask any questions, share your ideas, anything that comes to mind with Ela. The number of the Peaceful Ease hotline to do that is 424-625-5562. You can also email us, podcast at peacefulease.com is the email address. And for all things Peaceful Ease, don't forget to visit peacefulease.com. Ela, it's so great to be back with you, and I'm so excited for this interview that we have teed up for today. Hi, Mario. Yes, it's so nice to be back, and it's so nice that finally we have a guest who can explain to us what Internal Family Systems is. Now, Internal Family Systems is something that you actually introduced me to, and just from being able to co-host the podcast with you, I learned about that, and I've heard you talk about it over the course of the last few episodes, and you were mentioning that you were wanted to talk to Bonnie and get Bonnie Weiss on the program. And you did that. And I'm super excited, you know, for this interview. And I'm just going to ask you now that, you know, you've been doing your own internal self exploration around the internal family systems, you've been reading and researching it. And now you had this conversation with Bonnie, what are some of the things that stood out from your conversation? I think one thing that stood out was that Seeing these parts, not as dysfunctional sides or even the habits that these parts create as like troublesome habits, but seeing these parts as protectors. Because our listeners haven't listened to the interview yet, this may kind of sound confusing, but if you listen to the interview and then think about this comment that every part we created or every reaction we had against a traumatic situation in the past is not like a burden that we carry around. From the internal family systems perspective, they are protectors, these reactions, these habits. And it could be even like harmful looking habits, but they are trying to protect us from a pain that is deeply buried in us. So changing that focus was very revolutionary for me because that made me realize that there is no enemy within. I'm just trying to cope with life and we are all trying to cope with life with different strategies and we are all doing our best. That's a great takeaway and it's something that's very profound and very powerful and you know, this was just such a great conversation. So I want to just let everyone know that's listening that this is a two-part interview. So you'll hear part one of Ela's interview with Bonnie Weiss on today's episode. And then in the next episode of the Peaceful East podcast, you'll hear part two of Ela's interview with Bonnie Weiss. And so Ela, is there anything else you wanted to mention about part one of your interview before we go ahead? I'll introduce Bonnie and we'll queue up the interview just if you can please listen to both episodes because they fit together so if you listen to the first episode and if the work resonates with you 
do listen to the second episode because then you will get the whole picture. Fantastic. And now I'll just introduce everyone to Bonnie and then we'll get this interview started. So Bonnie Weiss is a psychotherapist, teacher, supervisor, and trainer. She is a licensed clinical social worker in California and New York and has been practicing since 1974. Bonnie has taught classes and workshops on inner critic, self-esteem, overeating, and internal family systems in Israel, Ireland, and at Esalen Institute in California. She is the author of Illustrated Workbook for Freedom from Your Inner Critic, a self-therapy approach and self-therapy workbook and exercise book for the IFS process. She currently has a private practice in Mill Valley, San Francisco, and works with individuals, couples, and offers professional supervision. Feel free to get in touch with her directly. Her email address is bonnieweiss at gmail.com, so you can email her with any questions that come up or any thoughts or ideas that come up from the interview. So, Ela, do you want to go ahead and introduce your interview with Bonnie? Yes, please. I've been waiting for this moment for months and months. Okay, so... IFS, internal family systems, finally. I've been talking about internal family systems for months and months now. So thank you so much for joining us, Bonnie. Can you please explain the basics? I know it can get very complicated, but we are talking about having different parts of us. Is that right? That we are not just one individual. I think the first thing to understand is that the internal family systems model is a personal growth model. So it's a method of doing internal growth work. It was built as a model of therapy by a man named Richard Schwartz, who was a family systems professor, actually, and had a clinical practice with severely traumatized people in in hospital. And he noticed that people would say, well, I have this part of me, you know, I have this part of me that wants to eat everything in sight. And I have this part of me that wants to be skinny. And I have this part that wants to really be successful in the world. And I have this part of me that wants to stay in bed all day. Because Dr. Schwartz was a really interested and curious person, he really tried to listen to his clients and really became interested in the fact that they seemed to be able to pretty clearly identify that they had different parts and the different parts could hold completely different points of view, beliefs, ideas about the world, and physiological and emotional and historical experiences. So that really got him interested in this internal world. The thing is, I feel like almost all of us say these things. Like, I want to stay in bed. No, I want to go out. I want to meet my friends. No, I need some quiet time. I want to just watch something on Netflix. Does that mean we all have these parts? We absolutely do all have these parts. That's why beginning to talk about them and identify them in a non-pathological way. You know, I think that we've all had experiences or many of us have had experiences with movies or books or TV dramas about people with multiple personality disorders, people who have many people living inside of them. And I think people, when you start to talk to people about it, they go like, oh no, not me, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. But I think what Dr. Schwartz has brought to us is this concept of non-pathological multiplicity non-pathological multiplicity, that we can all be many, many people, and that there's nothing wrong with that. It's really the way we function. The person who gets you out of bed and gets you dressed and combs your hair and puts on your makeup and stuff may not be the same person as who raises your child or who is there when you get to work or goes to the store or works out at the gym. 
they may be very different parts of you that activate different capacities, different skills, and also different memories and different histories. So we are not talking about roles here, like you as a mother, you as a teacher, you as this or that. It's more like their personalities. Right, they are. And those personalities cluster around me as a mother and me as a teacher or me as a wife or a person who hikes, you know, and walks in the woods. Mm -hmm. Those parts cluster. But it's not just the roles that you're in, because in each of those roles, we may bring many parts. If I'm a mother of like three small children, I will have aspects of me that love them and want the best for them. And I will also have a part that really gets frustrated because things don't go so smoothly with small children and a part that wishes I was out playing tennis or out walking in the woods and the part that feels guilty because I can't be the best mother I can. So as a mother, I may have a whole cluster of parts that actually are there in any moment and can be accessed. And very often they're conflicted. Mm -hmm. At what stage does it become pathological, these parts? I think the beauty of internal family system is, is that there's no stage where it becomes pathological. And I think that's the real beauty of internal family systems is that it's non-pathological multiplicity, is that we really understand this system of many parts as being healthy ways of trying to manage both the external demands of what goes on and what's called upon us in life and the internal demands of meeting some basic needs of being connected, balanced, having basic needs met. And so there's always that negotiation that we have to do between our internal world and our external world. There's certain things that we need in the external world. We need to feel safe. We need to feel connected. We need to be stimulated, we need to have certain physiological needs met, and we have to spend as much time as necessary negotiating those basic needs that we have. And then there are internal needs, so that if you have a situation where you have a parent that isn't a good, solid, reliable parent, and you need to have your basic needs met of safety and comfort and reliability and structure, but your parent can't provide that, And you have to create different parts of you that learn how to negotiate the world so that you have to take on some of those responsibilities of that parent. And if you live in a world that's reliable and safe, you can grow up and be more of a natural, spontaneous, explorative child. And is this how we create parts or are we born with parts? I think we're not born with parts. I think we're born with an open You know, and it's always where like the psychological and the spiritual kind of, you know, meld mm. together. I think we are born as a completely open, responsive system. We have certain instincts. You know, we have the instinct if, if you touch a baby's face, they will turn towards that because that's a rooting instinct that will look for the breast. You know, we have certain instincts about reaching out. We have certain instincts about crying when we're uncomfortable. Certain basic instincts about feeling relaxed and open and responsive when they're loved and they're safe. You know, those are wired in, you know. And it depends on how the environment treats those basic needs. If you learn that every time you go to root, you go, you go to turn towards the breast or the warmth of the mother, you get a negative consequence. You know, you get slapped or you get pushed away or you get rejected or you sense that that mother is tense or frightened, then you will have to create a part of you that says that's dangerous. I have to limit that natural tendency to reach out or to turn for it. And that's the way a part is created. 
So you have an instinct or a natural desire for expression that has to be managed because the world isn't safe enough. So does that mean these parts have their own agendas, like to make us safe, to make us... Right. You know, and the way we look at parts is that they fall into certain categories. You know, there's four, I think for the purposes here, we can just talk about two categories. The parts that we call protective parts, which are the parts responsible for negotiating with the environment. So that's between you and your environment. How do I get what I need from the environment? How do I see the environment? What do I think that I need to do in order to get my needs met from the environment? And often in order to manage that efficiently, there are other parts that have to be pushed away, parts that are more tender, more needy, more primitive. And we call those parts that are pushed out of consciousness, we call them exiles because they are exiled from consciousness. So they might be sadness or hurt or rejection, or lack of value, or anger, you know. And if those parts aren't readily acceptable in one's environment, then those parts are pushed out of consciousness, and other parts that protect them are left on the surface to interact with the environment. If your mother doesn't really respond to you being angry, or frightened, or needy, then you learn to kind of not show that, and show loving and competent and obedient and quiet, you know, kids who are very spontaneous and active and enthusiastic. And if that isn't met with warmth and welcome, but somebody wants a child to be quiet and be good and not make noise and not need too much, then a child can develop a protector to, to take away the spontaneousness and take away the hurt and the anger that comes from frustrating the spontaneity and just learn how to be good, be quiet, be obedient, be smart, be whatever the parent wants. So that experience of mother not responding, it sounds like it creates this split in us. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And one part is seen as weak or needs to be protected, so it gets pushed aside, and the other part takes over the role of a protector. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't say weak, I would just say unacceptable. And we arrive at the decision that part is unacceptable because we see it that way from the outside, like others are not accepting that part, hence it's not acceptable. Right, because we are ultimately dependent on our caretaker. You know, a child will always be checking with the caretaker to see what's acceptable. You know, if you see like a little toddler who hasn't really encountered a dog with the mother and they're out at the street or at a cafe or something and the dog comes, you know, like, the child will look at the dog and will be kind of curious and then we'll look up at the mother, you know, and see like, how are you responding? And if the mother says, look at that cute dog, let's just pet it very gently, the child will reach out. And if the mother is afraid and the child sees the mother getting frightened and pull the child away, the child will say, oh, dogs are something you should be afraid of, you know, and then the mother will say, it's just like me. We're both afraid of dogs, <laughs> you know, it must be in the and it's over and over and over again as the child is bonded and attached to the mother and then looks to the mother for reaction. You know, it's like if a child falls down, it scrapes its knee, it gets hurt. It will often look at the mother. And if the mother says, you fell down, just get right back up, you're fine. Mm -hmm. The child will just get right back up and point. It goes, oh, my baby, blah, blah. The child will burst out crying, you know. So it's just over and over again, the child looks to the mother as a screen for the kinds of responses that are acceptable and appropriate. 
And it sounds like on one hand, we are looking at the mother to learn how to react to things, what's good and what's bad or what's dangerous. But also we react the same way because we want to be accepted. Of course, because we need to feel safe and in concert with that mother. Mm -hmm. When my daughter was little, she was very motoric and she would always, I couldn't keep her in her crib. I couldn't keep her in a place and she just would always get out of everything. And I took her to a babysitter when I went back to work. And I came to the babysitter's house one afternoon to pick her up. But the family, their family, was eating dinner in the kitchen. And my daughter was sitting on this little mat. She was just sitting on this mat in the living room. And I walked in. She was just sitting there. And I said to this woman, I said, I can't keep this child in a crib. I can't keep her in a room. I can't keep her in a playpen. I did she on the mat. And this woman looked at me and she says, it's rest time. We stay on our mats. And I was like, oh, you know? <laughs> and there was something so clear about that message that I had to look at, even though I would say to my mother, oh, no, stay in your playpen. That, that it, I was getting such joy out of her capacity to climb and be alive. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, stay in your crib. But my eyes and my heart and my smile were saying, I think it's just adorable that you can get out. Yeah. And so the same child, when given a really clear message of it's rest time, we stay on our mat. Like I almost sat back, you know, because it was just, there was no ambivalence in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does that mean then your parts, maybe your protective parts were interacting with your daughter's parts? Exactly. I was enjoying that part of her. Yeah. And reinforcing that part of her, even though what I was saying was the opposite. And she was responding to the message I was giving and not the words I was saying. This is kind of mind-blowing to me because I can't imagine the impact this kind of thinking would have on our relationships and on the society that it's not just, for example, here, Ila doing the interview and Bonnie answering. Our different parts are interacting, right? Exactly. And if we think about each other this way, how would things change, do you think? Mm -hmm. Right. If people could really see who's here and see that I have a part of me that's talking to you, that's trying my best to sound like a knowledgeable professional. You know, I'm not saying to you, I'm a scared little girl trying to pretend that I'm a professional Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't introduce myself as such. Mm -hmm. And the same for you. You wouldn't talk about who you were underneath. You're a professional interviewer, podcaster. You've got all these qualities and capacities, artistic and creative, you know, and this is, you know, intelligence and all these things that you are. And that's who's here, you know. And so what we haven't talked about is this other capacity called the self in IFS, so that we are really more than just two parts interacting. You know, you're a professional, I'm a professional. But there's other capacities here. So we can shift and talk about the self and I can introduce that. And then we can talk about is there self here and not just parts. So Ela, that was fantastic. Part one with Bonnie, internal family systems. It's something that I feel like I'm starting to learn more and more and be more cognizant of in my everyday life. I can't wait to hear part two in the next episode. So I'm super excited for that. Is there anything that you want to mention to kind of encourage people to give us a little preview of part two before we go ahead and wrap this show up? Yeah, I mean, this is a very quick introduction to a very deep work. So if this work resonates with you, please do read about the IFS process by Richard Schwartz, who created this process, the family therapist uh, Bonnie mentioned. And check out Bonnie's website. We will share that in the episode descriptions. And if you have any questions, you can get in touch with Bonnie directly at 
bonniewise at gmail.com. I repeat that, bonniewise at gmail.com. Yeah, and I also want to mention that if you have any questions for Ela or Peacefulese, you can call us, 424-625-5562. Podcast at peacefulese.com is our email address, and peacefulese.com is where you can find all things Peacefulese. Ela, thank you so much for a great interview, part one, and I'm looking forward to hearing part two on the next episode. Thank you, Mario, and thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Peaceful Ease podcast. If this episode resonated with you, please share it with friends and family. Remember, the bigger the support, the more fun the journey becomes. If you'd like to get in touch with Ela, you can reach out to her at peacefulease.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Until next time, be kind to yourself.